All right, good morning. Hey, my name's Matt. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, so earlier this week, I looked on Facebook and I saw a picture of the stage here, like with the lighted Christmas trees and the lights and the simple Christmas thing. And this is what went through my mind. It was like Wednesday or Thursday. I looked online, I saw that, I'm like, that looks awesome. I think I need to improve my sermon to match the stage decor. So, so I went back and I worked on it and I'm trying to beat the stage decor. That's my goal for the message this morning. No, seriously, I'm excited about this morning. Um, we're starting this new series and it's titled Simple Christmas. And the reason that we're doing this series titled Simple Christmas is because there is a huge gravitational pull towards Christmas in our culture being secular. There's a, a huge draw, a kind of a vacuum that pulls us towards Christmas, which is complex, anything but simple. And so what we want to do is say, let's take some time and make Christmas simple this year. And it seems like Christmas grows and grows and grows. I mean, it used to be that years ago that after Thanksgiving, you would then have Christmas sales and Christmas decorations and so forth. And now it seems like it's backed up to right after Halloween, you have Christmas sales and Christmas decorations and all that kind of stuff and Christmas music. And it feels like pretty soon it's going to be backed up to like Labor Day, you know, like Labor Day, hey, we got that off, let's remember Christmas. And then it'll go back to Memorial Day. And I mean, it's just, it grows and grows and grows. But the thing about Christmas is that so much of it that about Christmas causes us stress and anxiety opposed to what Christmas was designed to give to us. You know, we get stressed out about money. Am I going to have enough money to buy presents? You know, and so like for us, we budget from the beginning of the year to the end of the year so we can buy presents. Some of you don't do budgeting like that, and so you're paying for presents off your Visa card for the next year, Right? Or we get stressed out about, am I going to buy the right present for somebody? Am I going to get the present that I want? I've read that one-third of all presents are returned for a refund or an exchange at the store. That's a lot of stress. Like, is my present going to be one of the third that's returned or one of the two out of three that are good presents? You know, we also, we can get stressed out and kind of frazzled about holiday parties. If you're having a party, like, do I have the right food? Do I have enough food? Are people going to come? Is my house clean enough? There's all this kind of stuff about Christmas they can get us out of sorts. But 2,000 years ago, God sent an angel. And the angel said to Mary, or said to, to the shepherds, they said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of Bethlehem is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. And as I think back to those announcements of the birth of Jesus, did God have, did Mary have, did the angels have, did the shepherds have in mind what we have around Christmas in 2017? I don't think so. I don't think they pictured all the glitz and glamour of that. I think for them, Christmas was just simple. It's the God of the universe coming down in the form of a baby. And that baby would grow up to be the Savior of the world. That's the simple meaning and message of Christmas. And so what we want to do at River Church is we want to work very hard over these next four weeks to try and make, to help us to remember that Christmas is about Christ born in a Savior. And as part of that, what we want to do is give you some different tools 
And so each week, we're going to talk about Christmas in a very simple type of way. And we've really tried to streamline everything that we're doing at River Ridge this Advent season. And so we've got the Advent wreaths and the four candles that are part of that. The message is titled Simple Christmas. Each title is just one word long, hope, peace, joy, love. Those match the candles if you do an Advent wreath with the candles. But we want this to be a time where we focus just on the simplicity of Christmas. Now, that doesn't mean, like, we're not going to say don't go to parties, don't buy gifts, don't do this, don't do that. We're not going to say that. But what we do want to do is to make sure that Christmas, the message of Christmas, the simplicity of Christ born in a manger, growing up to be the Savior of the world, will be at the center of everything that we do this Christmas season. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have that we have to sing songs that are traditional favorites, to learn new songs, the opportunities that we have to listen to and read the birth story, and the opportunity that we have to remember the impact that Jesus Christ can have on our lives because he was born as a child and grew up to be the Savior of the world, Lord. Let us focus on those things. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to answer three questions about hope. What is hope? Where do we place our hope? And then what does hope do for us? And we're going to take some time and talk about each of those questions as we look at a few different scriptures. But here's the first question I want us to ask is, what is hope? Because hope is a word that's used in a lot of different contexts. It can be kind of slippery in terms of what does this mean? What does this not mean? Because we use it in lots of different ways. We say things like, I hope it doesn't snow today. Or if you're a student or a teacher, you're like, I hope it does snow today a whole lot so we don't have school tomorrow, right? Or we say things like, I hope you have a good day. I hope everything is okay with him. I hope I get through the holidays without getting in a fight with my family. You know, I hope my parents don't find out about and then fill in the blank, right? We've hope in all these different ways, sometimes in sort of a lighthearted way, sometimes in a more serious way. I hope my marriage works out. I hope my grandfather stays healthy enough to come over and be with us on Christmas Eve. I hope I don't fall back into depression. And then spiritually we say, I put my hope in God for my future. And so we use hope in all of these different contexts. And so what I want us to do is understand what is hope? And as we answer that question, one of the things that's going to help us is that hope is a word that's used in connection with the birth story, with the, with the Christmas story. Why is it that hope and the Christmas story go together? What are those two things connected? How are they connected? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some scriptures to help us understand why is hope part of the Christmas story and then what is hope. So if you brought your Bible, if you would open up to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And if you don't have a Bible, you can open up your phone, find, take out your phone in church, open up the River Ridge app, and you will find Isaiah chapter 7 if you click, click the River Ridge Church app. So this is what it says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is a prophecy written 700 years before the birth of Christ. And the prophecy said, in the future, the Messiah will be born, Christ will be born, and he will be the child of a virgin. And so we know that 700 years later, that Mary was a virgin and gave birth to Jesus. And it also says 
they should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this will be the birth of a child who is God coming down to inhabit planet Earth. Then if you turn over two chapters to chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so these names are names of who Jesus would be. What are names? Who would the Messiah be? He would be Everlasting Father. He would be Prince of Peace. And so what there was is there was this hope looking forward to the future. That for all of these years... The Jews had, had scripture and, and God had said, there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a rescuing Messiah because much of their lives were oppressed. And they said, someday in the future, the Messiah is going to come. And so we look back on that and we say, oh, those are prophecies about who Christ would be. But if you're a Jew living at that time, hundreds of years before Christ, you would say, here's promises of what the Messiah Will be. And so these two verses talk about what the Messiah will be and who the Messiah will be. And so then we turn over to the New Testament. Turn over to Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25. And it says this It says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, this helps us to define what exactly is hope. So it says, for in this hope we were saved. This hope that it's referring to is Christ. The hope that the people in the Old Testament had that the future would be better because Messiah would come. That is our salvation. That's why we can have eternal life because Christ came for us. But then it talks about a future hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And this is the idea that in the future, that God will set all things right. God will make things as they should be. Because you look around the world, and we live in a broken world. We look around our own lives, and we have broken lives, and our lives are messed up. But what this says is, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That we're waiting for this point in time when things will get better. And so, in, a, in one sense, we, in a very broad sense, we could define hope this way. It's confident expectation of good things to come. Confident expectation of good things to come. But if we talk about this in a Christian sense, the Christian view of hope is confident expectations that God will do what he says he will do. That God will make all things right. And so for an Old Testament believer, they looked forward to when God would make all things right, and that was the coming of the Messiah. And for New Testament believers, we look forward to that point where God sets all things right in our lives, and in our world, and in our relationships. So that takes us to the second question, is where do you put your hope? Where do you put your hope? Now, most of you look like bright people. Not all of you, but most of you look like bright people, right? And so you're thinking, where do you put your hope? Well, I'm in church. They're talking about Jesus. It's Christmas time. I'm thinking the answer is Jesus. If that's what you're thinking, congratulations. You're right. But here's what I want us to do. Instead of just answering that question, where do you put your hope? Jesus, okay, move on. I want us to wrestle with this a little bit. 
Because where we put our hope really does affect our future. And where we put our hope also affects our present and how we live in the present. You see, there's a lot of different things that people put their hope in. And we can kind of go through a pretty short list of things, of the places that people put their hope that don't really work out. You know, some people, I'm going to put my hope in getting a job, getting the right job. If I just had a better job, that's the future I'm waiting for. If that was just better, then life would be better. Well, you may get the better job, you may not. But ultimately, the job that you have is going to let you down. Don't put your hope in a job. And we can see that pretty clearly. We say, if I had a bunch of money, if I had more money than I did, I had a million dollars, I had a half a million dollars, if I had, you know, whatever, if I had more money, then life would work out for me. And again, we can look at that and we can look around enough and go, that's going to let you down eventually, either now or just a little bit down the road. Or you may say, you know, what I need is the pleasures of life. If I had a bigger car, a nicer house, more sex, better parties to go to, neater things, cooler gadgets, you say, if I, if I had the pleasures of life, then, then that's what would make life make sense. But those things will let us down as well. But there's some things that we could look at. And I think, we, again, those three things, I think we look at pretty quickly and go, that's not where hope is found. I, I know that. But there's some other things that we look at that are false hopes. We say, you know, health. If I'm just physically healthy, mentally healthy, that's where I'm putting my hope. If I can just make sure I have that, then I'll be okay. And I want to be healthy. And I'm not saying don't be healthy and eat healthy. But the problem is, if our goal in life, if we think hope is found, and if, if I'm just healthy, all of us were going to be, all of us will be disappointed. It'll let us down because the last time I checked, the mortality rate among humans is still right about 100%, right? Everybody dies. So if that's where you're putting your hope, I promise you, it's not going to come through, right? You know, another place that we put our hope is in relationships. Like if I could just have a husband or a wife that meets my needs, or I have a husband and wife that meets most of my needs, or, or a really close-knit family with our kids and our siblings and uncles, and if I had that, then that's where I put my hope. Or if we, we would say, if I'm just a close circle of friends, like I've got my friends, got my family, that, that's all I need. But again, our friends, our family, our spouse, they'll let us down. That, and, and it's really, it actually makes for an unhealthy relationship. If you want your spouse or your friends or your family to be the hope for you, man, that's too much pressure. That doesn't last. It'll let us down. There's one other thing that I want to talk about as a false hope. Um, and if you've been sort of zoned out and not listening, listen up for just the next four or five minutes, and then you can zone out later if you want to. But I want you to grasp this, and not just a part of it. You don't need to grasp this whole thing. Otherwise, it will not make sense. But here's what I want us to see, is that one of the false hopes that we place our, we put false hope in, is we put hope in our expectations of what God will do for us. You see, the, the proper place to put our hope is we put our hope in God, that God will make things turn out the way that God wants things to turn out. But a very subtle and dangerous different place is we put our hope in the expectation that God will do what I want God to do with my future. There is a, a psalmist that did the same type of thing in Psalm 42 writes this, Why are you downcast on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? 
Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. You see, what the psalmist did is he's, he was, his soul was downcast because he was putting his hope in his circumstances instead of putting his hope in God. And so he has this conversation, sort of this internal dialogue. He says, put your hope in God, not in the expectations that God will make your circumstances turn out the way that you want them to turn out. You see, if we are putting our hope in how our lives will turn out, if we're putting our hope in the expectation that God will do this, 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 and this, or else, it's really kind of like putting our hope in Santa. And here's what I mean by that. It's like we make a list like, Santa, this is what I want, right? This is what I want out of life. So this is what I want under the tree. So make this happen, right? And if we treat God that way, like, God, I'm putting my hope in you, but it's got to turn out this way, it's really no different than a view of Santa. So that's something I've been wrestling with this fall, and I'll kind of share a little bit of why about understanding what's the difference between putting my hope in God and putting my hope in the expectations that God will provide for me in the way that I want. Is, and I wrestled with this in prayer a lot this fall because I had um, two very good friends who died of cancer. Luke Granger was 17 years old and passed away from cancer. Katie Cobb was 15 years old and passed away from cancer. And I prayed that God would heal them. And I prayed that they would live full, long lives and be healthy kids and then healthy adults. And I, and I prayed those things fervently. But God didn't answer that prayer in the way that I wanted him to answer that prayer. And I wrestled with that, and I got frustrated with God. I'm like, God, these are good prayers. Why aren't you answering these prayers? But I realized what I was doing is I was putting my hope in the expectation that I had of God. And I needed to kind of come back and have this sort of Psalm 42 dialogue with God and say, you know what I need to do? I need to put my hope in God, the expectation in God, the hope in God that things will turn out as God wants them to be, not as I want them to be. And there's a difference. And so I would challenge you with that question of where are you putting your hope? Are you putting your hope in God or are you putting your hope in how God needs to make things happen in your own life? Where is your confident expectation of the future? Here's the last question I want to wrestle with, is what does hope do? So turn back uh, to Romans chapter 15, if you would, over a couple pages to Romans chapter 15, verse 8. It says this in verse 8, and we're going to read through most of this um, section here. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Now, again, we go back. The Old Testament, they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They said, we in hope in God that he will provide the Messiah at the appointed time. Right? That's, this, that's what this verse refers to, that he would become a servant, the circumcised, the promises of God to the patriarchs. That's uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and some of those folks. And then it says this, and I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 13, and you'll see why. We'll come back and pick up the middle piece. But the question is, okay, what is the hope? What's the benefit? Why do we hope in God? Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So when we put our hope in God, when we have this confidence in the future that God's future for us is what God wants, what that allows us to do is to live in the present with peace and joy. It may fill you with joy and peace in believing. That when we have hope in God in our future, that allows us to live in the present with joy and with peace in life. And that's what we want. And then the very end of it says that you may abound in hope. And we see it's sort of cyclical, that the more we put our hope in God, God, I trust that your future for me is the right future for me, then we can live in the current, the present, with joy and peace. And the more that we do that, we say, wow, God's plan is right. I can live with joy and peace despite the circumstances around me. I'm going to put my hope in God. And it's this circle of hope creating joy and peace creating hope. And it goes over and over and through and through. And as you think about your life, as I think about my life, that's what we want. We want hope and joy and peace fully in our lives. Now, let's go back up, and we're going to read the parts that I skipped over. Verse 8, let me reread that. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God in his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. So we see here, here's what I want us to understand, is that Christ came for the Jews. It's talking about the patriarchs. That's the Jewish fathers. Now, I'm going to have you circle a word here, and I have you circle words sometimes, or underline words, or highlight words in your Bible. I'm going to ask you to do something I don't think I've ever done before. It's a bit unusual. I want you to circle the word. Are you ready for this? Here's the big word. Circle the word and. Okay, go ahead and circle it. I haven't circled it on the PowerPoint there just to play along here, but here's why I want you to circle the word and. It's, this is so key to understanding what Christmas is about and should be about. It's this, is that the Jews all along said the Messiah is coming for us. The Messiah is coming to set the nations free. The Messiah is coming for the Jews. But a little bit sprinkled in there, there were these messages that the Messiah was also coming to the Gentiles. But that had sort of become a back burner issue for them. They're like, yeah, he's coming for the Jews. He's the Messiah. He's the Jewish Messiah. But they had forgotten about the fact that Jesus also was coming for the Gentiles so that Gentiles could have full faith with the Jews as well. And so that's why Paul writes these verses. Verse 10. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. Verse 12, and Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even to he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. There's that word, in him who the Gentiles hope. You see, Paul is writing this to remind the people that, look, the gospel, the good news that we can have peace and joy and we can have salvation, we can have abundant life here on earth, it's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles as well. And so we circle the word and because I want us to understand this morning that the message of the gospel of hope is not just for the church. It's not just for those of us who go to church. The message of hope, which brings joy and peace, 
is for the whole world. That every person in the world over can experience the hope and the peace and the joy that we want when they embrace Christ as Savior. And so that's part of the simple Christmas message. That we get to share that Jesus Christ is the hope of the whole world, not just for those of us who are Christians. That we can share that message and invite people to be a part of the family of God and experience the hope that we have. And so as we talk about application this morning, I want to give you five applications. But the first two focus around how we can share this message of hope with people. The first is this is when you walked in this morning, kind of depending where you went, if you went to the bathroom or you checked in your kids or you got coffee or donuts, you found these cards, right, that say sharing kindness. And the first thing that I want to encourage you to do is to share kindness as part of being this, this simple Christmas. And here's what I want you to do. Is when you leave here, take a couple of these, take a stack, take a whole handful, as many as you want. We've got probably 1,000 or more of these cards around. I think we've got 2,500 cards. But take these, and we want to spread the message of Christmas around Charleston. And so here's what you'll do, is kind of pray, get with God, ask him what does he want you to do, and then do a simple act of kindness for somebody else. You know, maybe you go out to lunch after church today, and instead of leaving a 20% tip, you leave a 100% tip, and then leave this card as a reminder of why you did it, because of the joy of Christmas, because of the kindness of Christmas. Or maybe you're going through the toll booth on the West Virginia Turnpike and pay for the toll behind you. Maybe you buy somebody else's groceries. Maybe you do an act of service. You bring a cup of coffee to somebody who's working outside on a cold day. Maybe you rake leaves for your neighbor and then leave this in their mailbox. Maybe you shovel snow if it starts snowing this month. You shovel somebody else's walkway or somebody's driveway and you leave this. But be creative. Get before God and say, how can I practically show kindness to somebody else in this season and then just leave this. And then on the back of it, it says riverridge.org slash kindness. And maybe they go and look at that website. Maybe they don't. But either way, we're being messengers of the kindness and goodness and hope of Christ. Here's the second part of, again, this is about bringing hope to the world. Is uh, Ryan mentioned this Friday is the Christmas night of worship. This is a great opportunity to invite people to come and hear the Christmas message. They're going to come, they're going to hear great music, a really simple message just about the heart of the gospel. I encourage you to invite folks. If you've been on the River Ridge website, there's a kind of a promo for it of uh, Crystal singing a song. You can click that link and share it with people as a way to invite. But we want you to get the word out personally to your friends to say, hey, come hear about the Savior. Come enjoy the celebration of Christmas. There's also, there's an invitation for that as well in your seat back, uh, which has also Christmas Eve, another great way to invite folks to come and be a part of what God is doing at River Ridge and really just part of God's grander story. Here's the third one as far as application is the Advent wreath. And again, Ryan mentioned that. We talked about this last week. But if you've got kids fifth grade and below, I really encourage you to do this because so much about Christmas, if you, sort of word association, if you ask a kid, what's Christmas? Or, you know, Christmas, give me a one-word response. Most kids would say present or Santa or tree. Wouldn't you love it if you did, hey, let's do a one-word response, Christmas. And they said, Jesus. That's on you as parents. We will do the best that we can with our kids here at River Ridge Church to teach your kids about Jesus. But the responsibility lies on you as parents. 
to tell your kids about the message of Jesus. And so we have equipped you to do that with the Advent wreath. Take it home, do it, share that message with your kids. Let me give you two more, and these are more personal, again, for you to experience Christmas and the message of Christmas this fall, or excuse me, this December, is read a book about Christmas. I do this about every year, every other year, and I just read a story about Christmas. A couple recommendations. Uh, Because of Bethlehem, that's out pretty new this year, Um, and so I read the first chapter. It looks like it's going to be a great read. Another one by Max Locato is called God Came Near. just tells different stories of Jesus on this earth. Uh, A Case for Christmas is a great one. If you're here this morning and you're investigating Christianity, you're like, I'm not really sure if I believe this whole Jesus was born of a virgin. I'm not sure I believe that whole Jesus died on the cross and that God in the form. I'm not sure I get all that. The Case for Christmas is a great opportunity for you to read. It takes kind of an intellectual look at the Christmas story. Another one is called Unwrapping the Names of Jesus. Um, and it just goes, it's a daily devotional. It gives it a different name every day for the month of December up to the 25th to read just about who Jesus is and, and a reflection on it. And then another way, to, again, to personalize um, Christmas is uh, just to do a daily reading. At the bottom of your outline this morning, it said, uh, there's a thing that says hope, uh, and then there's just something to read every day. Take that home with you. Just read about hope every day this week. Next week, we'll do the same thing. We'll say, here's five readings about peace, and the next week, Here's five readings about joy. So those are some applications for you. I want to just close by saying this um, and just kind of share a bit of my heart. You know, Christmas is one of those times when the church gets a little fuller. People think about inviting other folks a little bit more. People are a little bit more just sort of spiritual in their thinking because it's Christmas time. I want to get a little bit more spiritual. And this would be my challenge and my hope for us and my prayer for us is that Christmas wouldn't be this sort of spike, this pinnacle where, hey, we're going to think more about other people and generosity and reading the Bible and Jesus, and then December, it goes back right to where it was in February, and then comes around to Easter, a little spike, and then we go back. What my hope is, is that Christmas time, this Advent season, would be an opportunity as a stair step. The, the things that we're talking about, about sharing Christmas kindness, so we're talking about reading God's words. We're talking about reading spiritual books. We're talking about investing in our family relationally and spiritually. That this would be a step towards greater things with those. Not just, hey, we did it for December, and then we're back down to normal. But they would, we would put some things in place in our lives that would carry on throughout the year, a step of spiritual growth for all of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, this opportunity to worship, to hear from you, um, to look at your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to put our hope in you and you alone. Not in our circumstances, not in the things that we want you to do in our lives, but we would put our hope in you that we believe that you have the best future laid out for us and that we live and walk in that joy and peace today. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.